0: Greetings, Dog Nation. I am Jamie Cheek. This is a view from the couch. Thank you so much for joining the podcast this week. We have finally got a fun game to talk about as the South Carolina Gamecocks come to Athens to take on the top ranked Georgia Bulldogs. All right, after two really big weeks of college football to start the season, if you look through the week three slate, it definitely has one of those like let down week feelings to it. But I'll point out a couple of things. First of all, we are too early in this season to start saying, meh, it's not really a great weekend of college football. Just go back two months when there was no college football and remember how thankful you would have been to be able to watch the games that are coming on this weekend. But we are missing that marquee matchup. So we'll talk just for a few minutes to open the show today, just about a few things I'm looking at nationwide. And the first thing is, anytime you don't have a big marquee matchup and you look at it on paper and you think, eh, maybe this isn't the week uh, really interesting things are going to happen, that's usually the week when it all breaks loose. So upset alert is absolutely the thing that uh, we should be on the lookout for. There's three different games uh, that involve top 25 teams that kind of jump out to me as interesting, and we'll talk about some of them as we go along today, but also as potential upsets. You got LSU going on the road at Mississippi State, Kansas State on the road at Missouri, and then we got a big Saturday night showdown in the swamp between Tennessee and Florida. So for all three of those games, road favorites, that's the common denominator. All three of those uh, road teams are favorites this week. And if you remember back to last week, we had multiple favorites going on the road and struggling. And even though most of them ended up winning, Oregon and North Carolina in particular really struggled. UNC needed double overtime to beat App State. Oregon needed a late score and then a miracle um interception return for a touchdown to kind of on paper make it seem like maybe that game against Texas Tech was a lot different than it actually was. And then obviously Texas A&M went on the road as a road favorite against Miami and got their doors blown off. So anytime, and especially with those couple of games that are SEC games, anytime you're going on the road in the conference, it's not going to be easy. Just ask Georgia about the Missouri game last year. And then when you have teams like LSU, who did not look good against Florida State in the second half, Tennessee, who's been just a little bit shaky so far this season. It's not that I have a lot of trust in Mississippi State or Florida as much as we just don't know that much early in this season and so much of this, and I'll throw the Georgia game in there, so much of this is going to be how does the game play out? And who shows up and gets off to a quick start. So those three games are games that I'm at least keeping an eye on. I would not be surprised at all if all the road favorites win and cover. But I think it's at least worth keeping an eye on those situations. The second big story for me is the Alabama Crimson Tide. How will they respond? Uh, they have a odd game this week as they are going on the road to play South Florida. Um, and to me, at least, there's no doubt that Alabama's obviously going to win this game. But how they win the game, and how they play the game, and who plays the game is absolutely what's interesting. So next week, Alabama goes straight into a three three week stretch where they play Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and A and M. Um, again, not exactly juggernauts. We've talked about the SEC maybe being a little bit down, but. Alabama's got a lot of questions coming out of that Texas game. It's not just that they lost, it's how they lost, and it's how bad Jalen Milrow looked in at times in that loss. So this game at South Florida, that seems like a game that you're, eh, we, we don't even need to watch it. You know who's going to win. You do need to watch it because you need to figure out what Alabama is going to be moving forward. Maybe we see Jalen Milrow as the starter, and he plays the entire game, and he looks way more competent. Uh, Now, obviously, nothing we see in this game, just like we shouldn't really have counted anything we saw against Middle Tennessee State in the first week of the season, but nothing we see in this game really matters all that much, unless we see a different quarterback. And there's been a lot of talk about maybe seeing more than one quarterback, maybe seeing a different quarterback start this game. There's been some rumors that Tyler Buckner... Uh, the former floor, or, uh, Notre Dame quarterback, has had a really good week of practice. Who knows what's going to happen? Milrow is plenty talented. It's just what he can't do that's causing the problem. So there's been a lot of negativity out there this week. There's been a lot of speculation about Saban and his future and a bunch of dumb stuff that's honestly not really worth getting into. But the key going into this game is going to be getting Milrow some confidence on or going to a quarterback that the team can be confident in because there's a long SEC season ahead of Alabama and they can't keep playing games like they played against Texas. And honestly, as the season goes on and teams adjust to what Alabama's doing offensively, I think Milroe's going to have to show that he can be better, that he can make those intermediate passes, and that he can get the job done. So would it shock me at this point to see Alabama go 11-1? and uh, maybe a little bit 10 and two wouldn't shock me at all but they're gonna have to get more out of that quarterback position or they could lose two or three more times this season and I absolutely would not be shocked if they stick with Milrow for the entire year if this is a nine and three or eight and 14 I would not be shocked about that at all the last thing conference play getting started we had some great non-conference games to start the season. And we had some really crappy Kate Walt kind of games. There's a couple of those in Athens, but this week, even without a marquee matchup, we've got a lot of conference games on the slate and we'll really start finding more out about teams. You know, the first couple weeks, everybody wants to use that transitive property, right? So Colorado beats TCU, TCU beats this other team. That means Colorado is better than that other team. That's the transitive property. And you can kind of weave your way through that, North Carolina beat South Carolina, but struggled with App State. So that means South Carolina is really awful, right? And the reality is, is no, week to week, especially early in the season when offenses aren't really clicking and maybe defenses aren't really clicking, you got new coordinators and new spots, you got new starters and new spots. You just have to win early in the season. Just find a way to win and keep going. And ultimately, what you want to see is teams that are starting to grow in their kind of their competency. You want to see improvement week to week, and you really want to start seeing as you get into conference play, okay, what's the strengths and weaknesses of each of these teams? So again, maybe there's not a marquee matchup this week, but there's a lot of interesting games that are going to tell us a lot about some of the best teams in college football. We'll pause there. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with our viewing guide that's going to set you up for all the games that you're going to need to keep an eye on this weekend in college football. All right, let's definitely start talking about the quantity and maybe not the quality of some of these games, at least on paper. Um, there is a Thursday night game, but honestly, it's really not worth talking about. I think Miami's playing somebody, but it doesn't matter. We're going to focus on f- Saturday, and I've got four different games at noon that I think are at we at least worth keeping an eye on. Number three, Florida State at Boston College. This is the concept that I shared earlier. You've got a good team in Florida State that already has probably, if not the best win, one of the best wins of the entire season on its resume. But they're starting conference play. They're going on the road. Not that Chestnut Hill is really the toughest place to play, but it'll be interesting to see how the way Florida State played against LSU, how does that travel? Okay, are they Are they continuing to play at a very high level? Or do we see a little bit of a regression like we saw from some teams last week? Similar situation for Penn State on the road at Illinois. Let me circle back. Sorry, that Boston College-Florida State game is on ABC at noon. Penn State and Illinois is the big noon Saturday game on Fox. I continue to believe that Penn State is right there with Michigan as the best team in the Big Ten. And uh, that game happens, I believe, at the beginning of November. But... From what we've seen so far, I think those two teams are going to end up separating themselves from Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten. So it'll be interesting to see how Penn State is a road favorite. Uh, I think they're about a six-and-a-half point favorite go on the road to an Illinois team that actually got its doors blown off last week by a Kansas team that played really, really well on Friday night. Um, so that's the noon game on Fox over on ESPN, you've got number 14 LSU at Mississippi State. This one is extremely interesting to me because for LSU, it's all about recovering from that loss to Florida State and starting to build their confidence back up towards trying to achieve what their ultimate goal was. Everybody going into that Florida State LSU game said this is not a national title disqualifier for the loser. But it definitely took away any kind of room for error. And what you what you want to see if you're an LSU fan is go on the road to a Mississippi State team that's just frankly not on your level, still struggling with an offensive identity for good reason after what happened with Mike Leach and take care of business. But it's going to be an eleven AM kickoff local in Starkville. The cowbells are going to be going crazy. And let's just see if LSU's up to it or if they kind of slog their way through it and maybe end up winning the game, but don't do it in an impressive way. So that's ESPN at noon. And then I'll give you SEC Network at noon, number 15, Kansas State at Missouri. I think Kansas State's going to blow the doors off Missouri. I don't think Missouri's very good at all. I'm not sure that Kansas State's great, but I think Missouri's a pretty bad football team at this point. At 3.30, we've got a few interesting games. Uh, Obviously, the one most folks that listen to this podcast are going to be checking in on is South Carolina at number one Georgia. This is the CBS game of the week. Uh, CBS has been broadcasting Big Ten games the first couple of weeks of the season. So this is their first SEC game in their last season of broadcasting the SEC. If you watched games last weekend, you would have saw the graphic that ESPN kept putting up during that Alabama-Texas game that the SEC comes to ESPN and ABC in 2024. So it remains to be seen what that looks like from a scheduling standpoint. But for this year, we know the marquee game, uh, at least the way they sell it, the marquee game in the SEC every week is going to be 3.30 on CBS. So I expect uh, a, a, a really raucous crowd, frankly, at Sanford Stadium. We'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But while that game's happening on CBS... Over on ABC, we've got number 10, Alabama, going on the road at South Florida. Talked about that game a little bit earlier. Um, I will be at the Georgia game, so kind of following along to see what happens with this Alabama game. Uh, Probably I might record it to kind of watch some of it because I don't think the final score is really going to tell the story. Honestly, it's going to be a lot more about how that game goes. Um, You've got number 19, Oklahoma at Tulsa. On ESPN two, I think this is an interesting game because I'm not sure Oklahoma is that good. Um, they played SMU last week and and they won the game. They put up like a thousand points in the first week of the season against some terrible team. But I have my doubts just in general after what we saw throughout last season with Oklahoma. Well, a lot of doubts about them. Tulsa's not a great team, but I mean they're semi competent. It's going to be interesting to see how Oklahoma plays on the road. And then I think. What I would call like the weird on-paper game of the week, Minnesota is traveling to number 20 North Carolina, and that game is on ESPN at 3.30. Um, It's just weird. I don't know how these two teams decided to play each other, but North Carolina looked like a great team in week one. They looked lucky to get out of week two, beating App State. Minnesota beat what can only be described at this point as just a bad Nebraska team uh, on Thursday night to start the week. Let's see what they got for uh, North Carolina. So I think that's going to be at least a a semi-interesting game. And and like I said, if nothing else, it's just weird that those two teams are playing. Uh, In my mind, the game that I am the most interested in outside of the Georgia-South Carolina game for pretty obvious reasons, is the game that's going to be happening in the Swamp at 7 o'clock on ESPN. Uh, I should be able to get home and at least watch the second half of this, so that'll be a lot of fun after going to the uh, Georgia game. Number 11, Tennessee traveling on the road to play Florida. Uh, I don't have it. I didn't put it in my notes here, but it's been a very long time since Tennessee won at Florida. There's been some bad Florida teams over the years and some bad Tennessee teams, frankly, but... This is the one bugaboo that's kind of left for Tennessee, the inability to win in Gainesville. This used to be going back 10 years, or if you go back and, you know, you watch the Swamp Kings um, four-episode infomercial on how great Urban Meyer was. um, If you watch that, it it, it talks about how big of a game this Tennessee game used to be. And you go back all the way to the 90s with Peyton Manning and Steve Spurrier and and even – you know, into the early 2000s before Georgia really got things going, Tennessee and Florida early in the season was kind of the game to decide the SEC East. Uh, It is very unlikely that this game is going to have any bearing on the SEC East. That is unless Tennessee goes and lays an egg in, uh, in Gainesville. So... Florida struggled against Utah. They struggled to look like they had any idea what they were doing against Utah. It wasn't just that they lost. That's another game that if you didn't watch it and you just see the score, you're like, eh, they lost, but it wasn't that bad. It was that bad. They were having a hard time doing anything that made sense. Graham Burch looked terrible. He put up numbers on the last three drives of the game when the game was out of out of reach for Florida. He hasn't been very good. But Joe Milton has also not been very good. Tennessee has maybe, maybe with the opponents that they've been playing, they haven't shown a lot in the first couple of weeks, but it's time to show it now. So to me, this game is going to tell us a lot about both of these teams. My theory and my mentality going into this game is Florida is not good. So if Tennessee is good, they have to beat Florida handily. Because even if Florida stays in this game, my conclusion from that is not going to be that Florida is good. It's going to be that Tennessee is also bad. You see how that's going to work? That's, that's what I believe. I've seen Florida play a decent opponent already in Utah. They're not good. Now, could they improve over the course of the season? Of course. But they're not good in any kind of way. They're nothing close to a top 25 team. So, that game, 7 o'clock on ESPN. 7.30, a couple games to keep a, uh, an eye on. Tech. The North Avenue Nerds going on the road to take on Ole Miss in Oxford. That's number 17 Ole Miss, by the way. Uh, Ole Miss barely got out of Tulane last week uh, with their lives, playing a backup quarterback. So I have some questions about Ole Miss, but we'll see how they match up against the Nerds. That's on the SEC network. And then Pittsburgh and West Virginia on ABC. Neither one of these teams are very good, but this is one of – the best rivalries, or used to be one of the best rivalries in all of college football, that has been lost to the era of conference expansion. But this is the backyard brawl, so it's at worth. It, it's at least worth keeping an eye on. You've got uh, you only live once, Neil Brown, coaching West Virginia. So it's going to be very interesting to see for a guy who is most likely going to get fired at the end of this season. What kind of crazy things is he willing to do uh, potentially to stay in this game? So that's kind of three games-ish in that 7, 7.30 window to keep an eye on. And then finally, we cap the night off with Deion Sanders and Colorado hosting Colorado State on ESPN. Game day is going to be in boulder for this game Uh, big noon saturday is not going to the illinois penn state game that they're broadcasting as big noon no no, they're gonna go and they're gonna sit in a parking lot what 12 hours before the colorado state colorado games comes on another channel that's how desperate they are to continue to talk about Dion. so i'm sure there's plenty of people who are going to be highly annoyed about that doesn't bother me at all it's interesting now I said it on the podcast earlier this week, and I'll continue saying it. Colorado's probably going to win this week. Uh, I saw it today just a little while ago while Colorado State's coach was like making some odd comments about talking to adults and taking his hat off uh, and taking sunglasses off because that's the way his mama raised him. Um, I feel like I had good parents, and I don't think I ever got uh, any kind of instruction on taking sunglasses off or I had off I, I, I when speaking to someone, I I don't know. Uh, but my guess is uh, Colorado is going to lay it on Colorado State, and because their coach wanted to talk, I think Dion's probably going to run it up pretty big in the early morning hours of uh, Sunday morning. But it gets real for Colorado after this. And I think what the media <laughs> is is failing to point out is that, hey, the upset of TCU was awesome, beating a – pretty bad Nebraska team last week. Awesome. Taking care of your rival in Colorado State this week is going to be awesome. This is still a six or seventeen team game winner. They're they're not they're not going to win eight, nine, or ten games. They're just not. They're not that good. They're better than these other teams, which is all they had to be these first few weeks of the year. They're they're competent. They have some nice pieces, but when you play Oregon and you play USC and you play some of the better teams in the Pac 12, What they're going to find out is their deficiencies on the lines of scrimmage are going to cost them. And while they have a guy like Hunter, who is just head and shoulders, one of the best players in the country, I don't think the rest of their skill position guys are so much better than everybody else's dudes that they're just going to be running wide open the way they have been. So that is our viewing guide for week two or sorry, week three, um, let's take another break and then let's come in back and dive deep into the Georgia-South Carolina game. All right. Georgia-South Carolina, 3.30 on CBS. Um, after Alabama lost their game last week, Georgia now has the longest home winning streak in the nation. It's at 20 games. Um, but... Appropriately, Georgia's last loss at home was in 2019 against South Carolina. Will Muschamp, Georgia's co-defensive coordinator right now, was the head coach of the Gamecocks at the time. Georgia, in that game, was favored by 24.5 points. They were ranked third in the nation. South Carolina had already lost a few games. Uh, They only ended up winning four games that entire season. But Jake Fromm threw three interceptions, including one that was returned for a touchdown right before halftime. And Georgia ended up losing that game 20 to 17 in double overtime when Rodrigo Blankenship missed a, uh, like a 40 something yard field goal to send the game to double OT. So, or sorry, third overtime. So Georgia leads the all time series against South Carolina, 54 wins, 19 losses, and they've tied twice because that used to be a thing. Um, since that 2019 game, this has not been a series with any kind of close results. In 2020, uh, South Carolina came, or I guess Georgia went to South Carolina and won the game 45 16. In 21, it was 40 13. Uh, but that 13, to keep just a little bit on theme here, um, the only reason they scored a touchdown, the only reason South Carolina scored a touchdown was because of a pick six late in that game by then-backup quarterback Carson Beck. Um, and then last year, Georgia went on the road in Columbia and absolutely slaughtered South Carolina 48-7. So Shane Bieber, uh, who coached at uh, Georgia for a couple of seasons under Kirby, is uh, the South Carolina's coach. He's done a pretty good job there. Uh, there's a lot of talk about South Carolina coming into this season because of the two big wins they had to finish last year, but – in the first game of the season, uh, with, uh, on a nationally televised stage against North Carolina, South Carolina just got completely outclassed. So let's talk a little bit about South Carolina. Their their key player, the the guy who can keep them in this game, uh, is Spencer Rattler. Now, so far this season, and, and and it's so hard, I love running through stats, I love talking about it, but when we're in week three, it's really it's a little tricky to have to deal with the stats, right? Because we've got such a small sample size. So just bear with me as we go through some of this. But so far this season, Rattler is 55 of 66, 83% completion percentage so far. And he's thrown for just under 700 yards, three touchdowns and no picks. That is good. That is very good. Um, that completion percentage is much higher than he had last year when he only completed 66% of his passes and the no touchdowns through two game or sorry, the no picks through two games may seem like, you know, well, it's just two games. Well, last year he threw 12 interceptions to lead the sec in INT. So the fact that he's been able to protect the ball, even through the first two games has been pretty uh, impressive. So against North Carolina, to start the season, he was 30 of 39 for 353 yards. That sounds like the stat line of a quarterback who would have won that game. Unfortunately for South Carolina and South Carolina fans, Rattler was sacked nine times, nine times by North Carolina. For reference, Stetson Bennett was sacked nine times all of last season, and that's how many times the Uh, Spencer Rattler was sacked against North Carolina in the opening game of the season. And just so you know, last week against Appalachian State, that vaunted North Carolina defense that sacked Spencer Rattler nine times recorded zero sacks against Appalachian State. So, again, you can't always trust the transitive property, but the two data sets we have say the offensive line for South Carolina is terrible. Um, if they could protect Rattler, it's obvious that he is, he, when he throws the ball, good things are happening. Um, it's just a question of whether or not they can protect him. And this offensive line, they, you know, maybe you're thinking, okay, well, maybe they have some problems in pass protection, but yeah, they're running the ball. Okay. Right. Uh, wrong. Uh, they can't run block either as a team. South Carolina's run the ball 70 times this year for a total of 106 yards, that's 1.5 yards per carry. Um, if that keeps up, this is going to be an absolute bloodbath on Saturday. Uh, if they if they run it for 1.5 yards per carry and can't protect Rattler, this game is going to probably look more off lopsided than Ball State did last week. Uh, let's talk about some of the key players on offense for South Carolina. on Joiner is their leading rusher, which is you know take that for what it's worth. 23 carries, 65 yards. Uh, 2.8 yards per carry, that leads the team, uh, almost double the team average actually, and he's got a couple touchdowns. Juju McDowell, 11 carries for 14 yards. I'm doing the best I can here. Yeah, 11 carries for 14 yards, that's 1.3 yards per carry, and one touchdown. Their primary pass catcher is Xavier Leggett, 15 catches for 296 yards. That's almost a 20-yard per catch average. He's got one touchdown on the year. Um, they also have Amarian Brown, nine catches, 86 yards, right at 10 yards per catch. So South Carolina has five different receivers that have caught at least three balls so far in the first two games of the season that are averaging over 10 yards per catch. So that know that sounds like kind of a crazy stat, but what the point is is South Carolina has struggled to run the ball, and when they get those big yard, well, when they get yards, they get big yards. They are a big play offense. There's going to be plenty of times in this game that I believe South Carolina will go three and out and have to punt. The question is: Is when they hit plays, are they big plays, and do they score off of those big plays? Because chunk yardage is the only way they can stay in this game. Now, taking a quick peek around for Georgia we're going to talk about Javon Bullard uh, Georgia's star safety it will be interesting his health isn't looking good so when you think about South Carolina's ability to make big plays Bullard's injury may play right into that Um, South Carolina in addition to having a terrible offensive line no run game and giving up nine sacks to North Carolina in the first year of the season they are also undisciplined they committed 14 penalties so far this year and they are one of two on their attempted field goals, So, you know, it's really, really early. So stats maybe don't tell a, a full story. But I think it's fair to say the defense for South Carolina was not good against uh, North Carolina. And offensively, Rattler could not have done any more than he, he did, and yet South Carolina really wasn't in that game in the second half because that offensive line just couldn't do anything for him. Turning the kind of our attention towards Georgia, we'll throw some stats out there. Beck's 44 of 61. That's 72%. That's not bad. For 577 yards so far on the season, three touchdowns, one interception. Unlike Spencer Rattler, uh, Beck has not been sacked so far this year. Kendall Milton is Georgia's uh, second leading rusher. 16 carries, 71 yards, about four and a half yards per carry and a touchdown. The freshman, Roderick Robinson, leads the team in rushing. 14 carries, 88 yards, 6.3 yards per carry for him and two touchdowns. Uh, We're getting healthier offensively, defensively. Other than Bullard, it seems like Georgia is getting healthier. So Deshaun Edwards should be back this week, and I would Based on the way Dylan Bell ran the ball against Ball State last week, I would imagine they'll figure out a couple of opportunities to at least get him some touches out of the backfield. But when you talk about the three running backs, in my mind, it's Kendall Milton, Deshaun Edwards, and Roderick Robinson. I think that makes it – that that's where we're stopping. This is no longer we're playing – vastly inferior opponents and you know a huge talent gap there is still a talent gap but this is a conference game it's time for Georgia they're going to always rotate but it's time for Georgia to kind of pare that rotation down a little bit which means and I cannot say this enough I'm done with the Cash Jones situation I'm good he's run the ball five times for nine yards he's caught six balls for 56 yards and a touchdown which isn't terrible but I watched the first two games and I swear to God, that man has run the ball 50 times and he's been thrown to 50 more times. It feels like every single play, they keep trying to get the ball to Cash Jones. And I do not understand it. It seems like he's in the game constantly. And maybe I'm just negative and, and this is just all in my head. But I am good on the Cash Jones experience. So um, I'm sure he's a nice kid. I wish him all the best in his future endeavors, but I am tired of watching him play running back. So with Edwards back, with Milton-ish healthy, healthy as Milton ever is, and with Rod Robinson showing that he is a competent tailback, uh, good luck to you, Cash Jones. I hope you have a fun time wearing a baseball cap and holding a clipboard for the rest of this season. And... As I say that, he'll be out there on the first snap of the game. I know he will be. Um, as a team, we talked about Georgia or South Carolina's inabilities running the ball. Georgia's run the ball pretty nicely. 58 rushes for 258 yards. I know the Bobo haters will say that's not real numbers, but, you know, unfortunately for you, that is not fake news. That is, that's real. Georgia's almost running at four and a half yards a carry, which is good enough. Um, you know, I think they can do better. I I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any doubt that given the quality of the first two opponents, there's no reason in this world that Georgia should have struggled running the ball on certain plays. That they've got they've had some big plays and they've had moments where they've run it well, but there's been a lot of handed off and get hit at the line of scrimmage, uh, this week in particular. Um, Offensive linemen, a couple of offensive linemen were asked in press conferences about, you know, how they have played so far this season, and they both said very, very clearly it's not been good enough. Tate Rattledge, in, in, in particular, said, we haven't played up to our standard, and we have to be better, and we're going to be better. So, they acknowledge that it needs to be better. We'll talk about that a lot here in a few minutes. So, um, from the past game standpoint, I know Carson Beck's the worst quarterback any of you have ever seen, but through two games... Georgia has eight different receivers that have caught at least three passes, which if you want to talk about offensive identity, that is the identity of Georgia's offense over the last few years. And moving forward, that's going to be what Georgia is about offensively. Georgia's primary receiver is whoever is open and wearing red. Okay? That's why a guy like Jermaine Burton left. He wants to be the number one guy. Now, A.D. Mitchell left, but that was a different situation altogether. But Jermaine Burton, he wanted to be the focal point of the offense. And the reality for Georgia is we don't have a focal point. Even though we have a couple of guys, one guy in particular, that is a generational player in Brock Bowers, Georgia's not going to force the ball to anybody. There's plenty of guys out there, and they're running plays where you know, you might not have a a 10 out of 10 receiver on the team, but you've got a field full of 7.5 out of 10s, and they'll all catch the ball when they're open, and somebody's going to be open because there's so many of them. So, so far this season, um, you know, Georgia has shown that they will not force the ball to anybody other than Cash Jones, apparently. Muse um, leads the team with 102 reception yards so far um, and Lovett has seven catches, which also leads the team. So let's take a step back and let's talk about offense and defense, what we are trying to see, uh, what we want to see coming up this week. So we'll start with the offense. Uh, For me, it begins and probably ends with Carson's Beck decision-making and his accuracy. So – It doesn't say much, but Georgia is definitely playing its most difficult opponent of the season. So to me, it's just another data point to see how does Carson Beck respond. For me, I've said it and I'll continue to say it. The question with Beck or any of the other quarterbacks, it's not about talent. It's about the it factor. The stadium, as I said, is going to be rocking on Saturday. It's a big stage for the first time. We're going to find out. Does he have it? Georgia can still win the East and maybe even the SEC if he doesn't have it. And if he doesn't – he and on Saturday, we he doesn't necessarily have to have it all. But if he has it, we, we got to be able to see some of it. And I think it's fair to say so far this season, I haven't seen it. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe I wasn't looking at the right thing. I think he's talented. I, I saw it in the spring game. <laughs> But since the spring game against two really, really crappy opponents, I haven't seen it out of Carson Beck. So the, the attribute that Stetson had that he did not get enough credit for. And I think as we move past him and past those 21 and 22 teams, when we look back, We don't need to convince ourselves that Stetson was one of the most talented quarterbacks this school has ever seen, because he's not. He's probably, even at this point, not in the top five, maybe not even the top ten as far as talent. I think all three quarterbacks that are on this year's team are more talented than him. But he had it in a way that Georgia quarterbacks have not had it since maybe Aaron Murray. Okay, And with the talent he had around him, and he had it when we were down in that Ohio State Peach Bowl, it turned on and he was able to get it done. So it's all about it for Carson Beck this week. Does he have it? Does he not? If he has it, we should see some of it at some point. Talked a little bit before about the offensive line. I want to see Georgia starting to be a little bit more dominant on the offensive line. Um, Can they get a push? I think Georgia's got plenty of talent at running back, and I talked about the three guys that I think will get the lion's share of the carries. Um, And at this point, I I really want to just see that line move. As soon as the snap, I want to see that offensive line push the defensive line back a little bit, and that has not happened through two games. So I, I really want to see this offensive line pick it up I want to see Georgia be able to run the ball effectively. That's how they kill games off. That's how they steal your soul. They get a lead, and then they just kill you in the second half by just just stomping on you, running the ball, pointing to a place in the offensive line going, and hey, we're going to go right there. There's not anything you can do about it. And I want to start seeing that. It's also going to help Beck <laughs> – if the opposing defense has to bring a safety down to stop the run, because if they can stop the run all, you know, just, just with their defensive linemen and linebackers, it's going to make it much more difficult for him to find open people in the secondary. The third thing that uh, we're going to kind of talk about is Lab McConkie. It's still up in the air, which probably means he's not going to play this week. If he doesn't, I'm sure that means they'll go ahead and hold him out against UAB, and that means he's not going to play until we play Auburn on the road at the end of the month. Without Ladd, I still want to start seeing some some separation at the receiver positions, and I don't mean like physical separation. That would be great, but I really want to start seeing some guys establish themselves the way that I think we've, we've seen a little bit from the running back position. So, um, you know, Brock is obviously our number one guy. Uh, they're going to try to get the ball to Brock, but the reality is that if you are the defensive coordinator of South Carolina or any other team that Georgia plays throughout this season, your focus is going to be Brock. And of course, you'd be stupid if it wasn't. So who takes advantage of the fact that they're going to be focusing on Brock? Now, the, the key here, going back to Beck, all of these are going to keep going back to Beck, okay? Beck has to be willing to throw it to somebody else other than Brock, even if they want to get Brock the ball. So, like, that was something that, going back to Stetson, he was good at. He found ways to get Brock the ball, but if Brock was covered, they're not going to be like, well, we're going to force it. He he didn't do that, at least most of the time Stetson didn't do that. So, if they try to double Brock, which you kind of have to do, unless if you're going to try to stop Brock – that means somebody else, at least one other person, is one-on-one somewhere else on the field. So who can get open and make plays? Um, <laughs> if they don't double Brock, for the the love of all things holy, give the ball to Brock. But he's your best player. You got to get him the ball, but you don't want to force things. Muse has been great, okay? Um, love seeing that guy with the ball in his hand, and I'm sure George is going to continue to find ways to get him the ball. But I want to see more from Love it. I want to see something from Ra Ra Thomas, and I want to see Arian Smith, who – for all reports, is healthy and 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 around. I want to see these receivers really start making some impacts downfield. North Carolina hit South Carolina for big long gains: thirty-seven yards, thirty-four yards, twenty-eight yards. Georgia's got to be aggressive. They have to be able, and this is this is both. It's play calling. But it's also Beck being willing to make those aggressive throws, not stupid throws, not throws into multiple coverage, but just be aggressive and let your playmakers go out there and make plays. Uh, You cannot, you cannot look at one guy and then check it down to Cash Jones. Uh, Apparently, I'm just going to keep going back to this Cash Jones thing, so sorry about that. Um, The fourth thing and the final thing that I want to see out of the offense is I want to see a recognition from Mike Bobo that he is driving a Mercedes of an offense and not a Toyota Corolla of an offense. Georgia might not have a Heisman Trophy candidate, okay? But Georgia has got just gobs of talent. And Beck has had no sacks. He's had all the time in the world. While the run blocking hasn't been great from this offensive line, the pass protection has been wonderful. Take your time. You'll have it even against a better opponent in South Carolina. The offensive line is going to give you time to make throws. I want to see aggressiveness from this offense, and it's, like I said, it's not just Beck making the throws. It's Bobo willing to test the outsides of this defense, okay? Everybody gets tired of watching somebody run up the middle all the time. And yes, from time to time you pop one up the middle and I completely understand why you have to run up the middle even if you only gain 2 or 3 yards, making the other team aware that you're willing to run up the middle sets you up for the next thing. I completely buy into that. But I'm telling you they're going to attack Mike Bobo in the booth tomorrow after or Saturday afternoon if he does What he has been doing on multiple drives this season, running up the middle, running up the middle, and then obviously pass on third down because it's third and eight. You cannot do that. He's got to be dynamic in his play calling. I think he has been for the most part this year, but there are times when it almost seems like he's distracted and he just takes series off. So I want to see the best Beck. I want to see the best offensive line. I want to see the best from our receivers, and I want to see the best... From our offensive coordinator. Let's take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about the defense and what I want to see out of them. And we're going to go ahead and offer a prediction for the Georgia South Carolina game. All right, turning our attention to the defensive side of the ball. For me, it starts and begins on that defensive line of scrimmage because, you know, nine sacks North Carolina obviously had a great game plan for how they were going to attack the South Carolina offensive line. And that has got to be the starting point uh, for the blueprint that Kirby and the defensive staff is going to try to implement this week. Um, The reality of this team, South Carolina's team is you have to get to Rattler. What North Carolina did to beat South Carolina is the way to beat South Carolina. Um, Rattler, despite whatever assumptions you may have about him, he is not a running quarterback. He is a mobile quarterback that uses his legs to get out of the pocket and then uses his cannon of a right arm to absolutely chuck the ball a million miles down the field. Um, So Georgia's going to have to get pressure on him quickly and get him on the ground or at least get him contained. Now, South Carolina's not coached by stupid people so they obviously know that that's what Georgia's is going to try to do i would imagine at least early in this game south carolina is going to try to get george or try to get the ball out of rattler's hand very very quickly now georgia is usually excellent on quicks you know swing passes screen passes that kind of stuff so uh it's it's all about playing within themselves being aggressive but just being smart about the way you're playing defense. Solid tackling, keep guys in front of you. If Georgia does that, I think South Carolina is going to very, very quickly find themselves behind the sticks. And I think that is the situation that Georgia has to be, you know, really trying to, to get those negative plays, those havoc plays against South Carolina. Now, missed tackles in the backfield could end up being huge gains for South Carolina. I talked about the fact that they really thrive on getting those trunk chunk plays down the field. If Georgia doesn't get to him and he's able to get away or slip tackles, he's going to throw the ball deep and that puts a ton of pressure on that defensive backfield to make sure a, you don't lose a guy in coverage because maybe the play is extended a little longer than than normal. and B, You can't get called for a bunch of pass interference and give them first downs, you know, cheaply. So it's really going to be tough. You know, Georgia hasn't gotten great pressure in the first couple of games, but in truth, they really haven't shown a whole lot defensively. Um, If they're able to get pressure with the three-down linemen, the game's over. That's it. I mean... South Carolina has got to make Georgia bring extra guys because if Georgia's able to rush three or four, even four, if Georgia's able to rush four and drop seven, Rattler's not going to find anybody open. That's just going to be the situation. So, um, you know, the second thing for the defense is Javon, Javon Buller's health. You know, he left the game last week limping. He was on the sideline in a boot. There's not been a definitive answer this week from Kirby about whether he'll play uh, he did make a, what I found to be a little bit of a weird comment about guys with similar injuries have played in the past. Don't know why you would say that because now if Bullard doesn't play, then it's kind of saying, well, other guys were tougher. So I I, I don't know. It was an odd comment to me. Um, we may know more later in the week, maybe at his Friday press conference, but uh, my guess is Bullard's not going to play and you're going to have to go with uh, – you know, somebody else. And and all reports are that it's going to be DDS. And this was the guy, if you go back to the preview pod, I said his name one time, I'm never going to try to say his name again. So DDS is going to be the guy trying to take uh, care of stuff in the backfield. Now, here's a very fun story about DDS. He was hit by a car <laughs> the week before the Clemson game on campus and he's okay but he's missed some time he missed some time that year because he was you know hit by a car on campus now his initials being dds and getting hit by a car which is the department of driver services that was just something i felt like i needed to say out loud on this here podcast so i've said it and we'll move on um starks malachi starks and tyke smith have been excellent in the secondary so far, so even missing Bullard, I think Georgia's secondary is plenty good enough to play well against Rattler and these receivers. We, you know, I've already said it. He has a primary receiver. Georgia's just gonna have to keep their eye on him. He is obviously their biggest target. He's a big dude. That's Joiner. Um, no, sorry, I said the wrong name. Leggett, Xavier Leggett. Um, so focus on that guy. Make somebody else beat you. Right. But ultimately, it's going to be about the pressure. If Georgia is able to get pressure, Georgia is going to win this game. Now, the third thing that I want to talk about with the defense actually has nothing to do with anybody on the field, but the 12th man. Historically, Sanford Stadium has not been known as a difficult place to play. The stadium, uh, if, if you've been to opposing stadiums, Georgia Stadium is built very much outward instead of upward now yes there's upper deck and there's a 600 level where you feel like you are losing oxygen and could probably jump onto the moon if you needed to but um just because it's kind of built in kind of a diagonal out kind of way the sound in the stadium just historically it has not been like death valley or um you know, some of the louder places to play around the country. It's just it just does not supposed to get that loud. That's, that's always been the rap for Sanford Stadium. But the reality is that tough places to play are mostly attributed to the team on the field and less to how loud it is. Um, and I think that's true, but I also think that you can point to three times in the last two years where Georgia's crowd made a significant impact on the game. In 21, Arkansas and Kentucky both came in here ranked, I think they were both ranked in the top 10. Kentucky might not have been ranked in the top 10 when they came in, but the crowd was absolutely nuts and both of those teams got completely spooked by the environment. Arkansas, I I've, I've never felt bad for another team inside Sanford Stadium, but the way Arkansas just completely melted in the first half of that game, uh, was you made them feel bad for the guys. Kentucky was similar later in that same season. They just they they could not handle the noise. All of the, just the entire atmosphere. There is no doubt that last year in the one v one matchup with Tennessee, the crowd had a huge impact with all those false starts that that Tennessee offensive line dealt with. Even into the third and fourth quarter, they were still having that that same energy level up, and you still had guys jumping off sides or uh, false starts. So. I think this is going to be a very hot crowd. Now, this is the third home game in a row for Georgia. Usually that means that everybody's a little sluggish, but because the first two games were so uh, against such inferior opponents, I think everybody's really ready for this one, and there's a little bit of a feel in town about all right, this, this, it, it's time for football season to actually start now. So the fact that it's the three thirty CBS game, I think, also gives it a little bit more juice in our head. So I very much expect a very, very excited crowd. The weather looks absolutely beautiful for Saturday. I think it's going to be an awesome atmosphere. And with all the pressure that the offensive line for South Carolina is going to be under after such a terrible performance against North Carolina, I would not be surprised to see some early fall starts from that South Carolina offensive line. And if that happens, the craziness is just going to grow exponentially inside Sanford Stadium. Ultimately, I think this game is actually, this is the opposite of what you're going to hear from a lot of people, okay? You always hear about fourth quarter games, second half teams. Kirby talks about, we're a second half team, we're a fourth quarter team. Georgia won the national championship in 21, according to Kirby and Nick Saban, because Georgia was a fourth quarter team. This is a a first quarter game, folks. It's going to come down to the first quarter, which sounds backwards, but the reality is, to me is upsets happen when the underdog is allowed to stay in the game early and have hope. Georgia jumped on South Carolina last year. They were up 14 to nothing at the end of the first quarter. They were up 24 to nothing at halftime and the game was over. In 21, it was 26 to 6 at halftime. Georgia has started incredibly slow in both of the first two games and I am incredibly concerned about that. The offense, if the offense doesn't start quickly and the South Carolina offensive line just doesn't suck to start the game. I think you're going to see a lot of optimism on that South Carolina sideline, and they are going to start believing that they can play with Georgia. When you look back at those two huge wins that South Carolina got at the end of last year, they were up 21-7 to on Tennessee at the end of the first quarter, but it, Tennessee came back and they were only down 11 at halftime. Um, so it wasn't exactly a blowout. Clemson got up 14 to nothing on South Carolina, but by – by halftime, Carolina made it a game. It was 23-14. to 14. They were in it. Georgia has to come out early and kill them. They have to kill their hope. They have to squash any thought in any South Carolina player or coach or fan's head that they can play with the number one team in the country. Their season is on the line. Now, after losing to North Carolina, they won last week against, I think, Furman or something. This is their first SEC game, but the reality is anything that they want to do, anything that they could do to make this season special, it's got to happen Saturday. If they they don't have any chance to achieve anything real, if they lose to Georgia, they're one and two and they're a, a, they're a game and a half essentially behind Georgia in in the SEC East. I don't think South Carolina was really you know a contender for the East. But they have to believe they are. But if you start out one and two, that's it. Um, I really see like kind of two different realities that could equally play out in this game. Basically, you could have Georgia win a close game where South Carolina is in it all night. And I'm just like tense and frustrated and aggravated in the stadiums right on the verge of booing the entire time. And people are frustrated and all of that. Or I could see Georgia blowing them out. And to me, it all comes down to Carson Beck. Georgia has so much talent on offense that the offense has to put pressure on the offense for South Carolina to be able to stay with Georgia. And if Georgia can come out and score some early and then the Georgia defense can do what it can do, which is put a lot of pressure on Spencer Rattler and then play the ball in the air, I think you'll see Georgia ultimately, I think, the talent will win out. I I don't have a good feeling about this game. When I say that, I say I, I don't have a bad feeling about the game. I I just don't have a feel. Like Georgia hasn't played anybody in these last few seasons. There's been early games, you know, either the first game of the season, usually to kind of give you an idea of who the team is. And at this point, I I still don't know who this team is. I don't think it's going to be easy. I th- I think. I would be able to record a podcast and know a lot more after each team has had one series because there's it 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 it's going to sound so stupid to listen to this back early next week if Georgia wins this game 40 to 6 that well how did you ever think South Carolina was going to compete with Georgia and I don't think South Carolina can compete with Georgia the problem is I don't know that Georgia is what they have been right so like what is Georgia that is the question. So we're going to find it out this week. I, I'm going to pick a score, 31-13, just because I think it seems like a score that makes uh, everybody content that we won but still angsty because we didn't win the way we thought. And I think that so far that's the, the theme of this season is we're winning, but nobody's happy. And I think 31-13 is a score that would leave us winning, but not everybody being happy. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast again this week. I hope you enjoy week three of the college football season. Take care. Listen again next week. I'll be back early next week with a reaction show. And as always, go dogs.